So a lot of people, they'll go, oh, you know, what you should do is you should go through all your notes and then just never use them. And I'm like, no, that's what amateurs do when they, like, I've seen this advice given by all these, there's a couple of writers and journalists. They go, no, 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 look at your notes before the interview and then forget about them. No, that's what amateurs do when they either don't have that many notes or they're telling somebody who's just going to read their notes and do a terrible job. I know for a fact that Howard Stern, who's one of the best interviewers in the world, he used to just be kind of a dirty shock jock. Now he's one of the best interviewers in the world. And a lot of these top, top, top interviewers, Terry Gross, they're looking at notes the whole time. There is no interviewer that's good that goes, I don't need notes. That's what a green belt does, you know? Are you ready to become a world-class interviewer, stand out with your podcast, and create an incredible audio experience for your listeners so that they keep coming back to your show and become raving fans? Welcome to the Podcast Interview Mastery, a weekly interview show where you will hear world-class podcast hosts and interviewers share their stories, tips, and strategies on how to become a master interviewer and hone your craft as a host. Are you ready to boost your confidence and inspire the masses? If so, buckle up, my friend, because this podcast will show you how. I'm your host, Tibor Nod, founder and host of the top-ranked Mindset Horizon podcast. Welcome, my friend, back to the podcast interview mastery show. I'm super grateful for you tuning into this podcast today. I really hope that today's episode is going to be highly valuable to you. But before we dive in, I wanted to mention that I've created a Facebook group called the Podcast Interview Nation Community, where we can support each other along the way to the top. If you feel inspired to join this community of dedicated podcast hosts who are serious about their show and aiming to become world-class, join the community at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash interview nation. That's again, MindsetHorizon.com forward slash interview nation. I'm more than excited to welcome you and connect with you in the Facebook group. And now let me introduce today's guest. So today I am joined by a special guest, the one and only Jordan Harbinger, who has helped develop one of the leading self-development programs in the world with a special expertise in social capital, relationship building, and authentic rapport. He's also the host of the Jordan Harbinger Show, where he interviews leading entrepreneurs, celebrities, writers, and experts about psychology, performance, life, and success. For all his work in the field, Forbes named Jordan one of the 50 best relationship builders in the world, and Inc. Magazine recently called him the letter king of podcasting. Jordan has shared his ideas around the world as a speaker and consultant. His work has been presented in Silicon Valley, at companies such as Google, Apple, Twitter, and Square, and to various government branches and agencies, including all branches of the U.S. military, the Department of State, and Department of Defense. He has also given talks on security, social engineering, and psychology to Black Hat, DEF CON, and Harvard Business School, and has advised private companies and law enforcement agencies on their security and communications. A former U.S. State Department employee and Wall Street attorney who speaks five languages, Jordan has spent several years abroad in Europe and the developing world, including South America, Eastern Europe, the Balkans, and the Middle East. 
On the Jordan Harbinger show, Jordan shares all of this experience and a system born as a result with his listeners. At the beginning of today's episode, we talk about what made Jordan realize that he had a knack for interviews and how he doubled down on that skill set. He tells us what he exactly did to become better at interviewing and reveals what he exactly does today and how much time he prepares for each of his interviews. In the middle of the episode, we talk about how Jordan looks at his episodes as a final product and how he structures his episodes. He tells us what exactly he does before, during, and after his interviews. We even talk about such details as taking notes during the interview and how Jordan does this like a pro without being distracted from listening, why it's a skill set that you can master, and how we can all do the same. Closer to the end, Jordan shares other skills that we can focus on in order to be better podcasters and communicators. If you want to find out more about today's guest, then check out the free resources, interview tips, book recommendations, and detailed show notes. Simply head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. That's again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. And so without any further ado, let's welcome today's incredible guest. Hi, Jordan, and welcome to the podcast interview mastery show. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you know, I'm super excited to have you on. And I was really excited when I was preparing for this conversation. And today I really want to focus on your journey as a podcaster and as an interviewer. And you are often referred to as the Larry King of podcasting, and you have been podcasting for 13 years or so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds about right. I started in late 2006. So yeah, podcasting, we can talk about what podcasting looked like back then. But you know, uh, you host the Jordan Harbinger show over 6 million downloads a month, which is incredible. And you know, I was wondering as a podcaster, when and how did you realize that you have a knack for interviews because you became really good at this? And what was that moment when you realized that, okay, I'm pretty good at this, so I should double down on that? Yeah, you know, it took me a while. I started off podcasting not thinking like, I have a talk show. It was more like, how do I record these talks that I'm having with friends? Oh, it's kind of like a radio show. That's fun. And then six to seven years in, no, it was my seven year anniversary episode. I was interviewing Robert Greene, who's an author of books like The 48 Laws of Power, Laws of Human Nature, things like that. Mm, yeah. And at the end of the interview, he said, hey, why did this take so long? I've known you for so long. Why didn't we do this earlier? You know, it's a, I'm such a good fit for your show. And I said, you know, to be honest, I didn't really want to like make a mistake or mess it up or waste your time because I really admire you and your work. And so I was a little nervous and he goes, well, you shouldn't be nervous. I do media all the time. And this is one of the best interviews that I've ever done. So I really, I really do appreciate, you know, the effort you put into preparing for this. And I was like, wow, Robert Greene thinks I'm good at this. That's amazing. I should probably do more of this. And I remember talking to my wife, she's my girlfriend at the time. And I said, you know, he said this and she's like, that's so great. You know, you, sh you really are good at it. This really is your thing. And, and I, and I said, but I can't really do more shows that are going to be that good because for him, I read the book and I've read a bunch of interviews and I listened to other interviews that he was on and I just can't do that for every show. And she goes, really? I mean, you could, you just don't want to. And I was like, damn it. You're right. <laughs> you know, it's, it, cause it really is like, a tremendous amount of work to read the entire book of somebody who's coming on the show. I mean, how the hell are you going to do that? And that's what I do now. 
But before that, I was doing what normal journalists do, which is read the synopsis, read the back of the book, you know, look at a couple of tweets and then go, ah, I can wing this. You know, that's what journalists typically do. And so I, I just decided, okay, if I'm going to be like in the top 1% of this field, I've got to be doing a hundred times more work than everybody else in this field. Cause it's, I'm not going to get there through natural talent. You know, I don't have that. So that's really what kind of started me off. And, and additionally, you know, that was really got me to go down the pathway of, of getting better in every area. Cause I, I remember I went to guitar center, which in the United States is kind of like a electronic store for music equipment and they have microphones and things like that. So I was going, I went from like having a couple of microphones that just plug into my computer, like a USB microphone. I went from that to buying like $5,000 worth of gear and figuring out how to use all of it and going on YouTube and being like, how do you adjust frequencies of bass and like make it less reverb when I'm in a bad room? And I learned all that. I basically got like a crash course, crackerjack box engineering, audio engineering foundation, you know, not like a, not like a real audio engineer, but like one who found their degree at the bottom of a, of a cereal box. And so I worked on that. I worked on interview skills. I, I knew I had to do the work. So that was really when I was like, I'm starting to get the hang of this. It will be, I, I remember having this thought. I remember thinking I will have wasted my time and probably regret it in a few years if I don't really double down on this and get good at it. That was in 2013. Wow, I couldn't agree more. And um, the reason why I started this podcast is really what I feel is, so I've been hosting my other show, the Mindset Horizon podcast for over a year now. And I asked myself the question, do I know how to conduct great interviews and how to get to the top, which I'm planning to talk to you about today, how to stand out basically with your interviewing skills and interviews. And my answer was, to that question was no, right? And I was like, I need to figure out what I need to do. And I thought that would be an awesome podcast. I mean, I didn't really find many resources on this topic, to be honest. So I was looking for blog posts and um, I was thinking, should I now you know, study journalism or what should I do? Because one thing that we do is we listen to podcasts that we like, right? And we try to learn from that, but I wanted to bring some awareness to this topic in terms of what exactly we can do and, you know, have this deliberate practice, so to speak. And um, I was wondering what you actually did to become better at interviewing. I was very conscious about having a lot of information on the guest because I feel like a lot of interviewers, they only do 15 minute long interviews. And when you're doing like an hour often the conversation just repeats itself because you don't have a workflow. Mm. So I started outlining all of my shows, going through the notes that I'm going to use during the interview. Uh, and, and I know a lot of interviewers that are kind of quote unquote naturally good at interviewing and they're okay, but they, they start to run out of steam halfway through and they start to get lost and they start to forget what they've covered and they start to go down these weird rabbit holes because they're going, oh, good, this will take 10 minutes. They're not going, this is relevant to the audience. They're just thinking like, this is going to take a while. And that's good because they got to fill the hour. And that's not what I want to do. I, I I value the listener's time, right? I'm, I'm thinking if they were paying per minute, would they want to buy the whole hour or would they be pissed off that everything after the first 20 minutes was just kind of crap? You know what I mean? So I, I'm I'm like an advocate for the audience. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an attorney by trade. So I have to think of the audience as my clients. 
and I'm billing in six minute increments. Your client's going to be pretty pissed if the last 20 minutes of them paying, you know, 150 bucks an hour or 250 bucks an hour, they're going to be pretty pissed if half of it was you repeating the stuff you said in the first half. They're going to be more than pissed. They're going to be like, I don't want to pay for that. And they're never going to come back. So I think about that when I'm podcasting. In addition to the outline, which you have to create after you do the work and the reading and the prep and listening to the interviews, I try to really think about the the interview from the audience's perspective. Mm-hmm. It, like I said, are they getting value out of this? A- am I advocating for their time? Am I am I spending their time like I would spend my own time? And so that was how I started to get better because a lot of people are probably expecting like, oh, I started to drill myself on the introductions and doing really good introductions. I didn't really have to do that. That would be a cool idea, but I didn't really know how to do that. So I just started thinking, what are my favorite podcasts doing right and what are they doing wrong? And I started to eliminate the stuff that they were doing wrong and double down on the stuff that I thought, in my opinion, that they were doing right. And, you know, it really came down to and still comes down to being able to outwork other interviewers. I know a lot of other interviewers that do a ton of work, like Terry Gross from NPR, who runs the show Fresh Air. She's a great interviewer. But she's also, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, she's also a woman who's like in her 60s, you know? So she's not really talking to the same audience as me a lot of the time, and we have vastly different personalities. And she says things like, don't interject your opinion. And I'm like, nope, screw that. That's not how I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna interject my opinion because I'm the voice of the listener. They're gonna be pissed off if I just sit there and let somebody spout nonsense the whole time. I have to interject my opinion. Not too much, but certainly none, not none. And so getting better at interviewing has been an exercise in figuring out what the audience would do if they were in that same conversation themselves. And that's really hard to do for 200,000 people at once. But that's the, that's the challenge, right? Is like, if every single person who's listening to that show that day is sitting there in the audience with their own microphone and they can chime in at any time, what are they gonna do? And then you eliminate like the top, or I should say bottom 10% of the crazy people who would just start screaming and shouting down the guest. But you know, what are the reasonable people in the audience going to do? What are they going to want to hear? What are they going to ask? What things are they going to challenge? How are they going to challenge that person? So that's how I started to get better at interviewing because I started to do that. The other thing I, that I do, you know, is I take voice lessons. I make sure that I've got good cadence in my voice. I make sure that it it's, it doesn't get boring to listen to. I don't drone on like I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, I don't get monotone. You know, things like that are important to make sure that the listener is there. And then also, you know, my editor does a lot of work. He edit, edits out a lot of things that don't belong in there. Sneezes, coughs, weird silences and pauses, threads that are just boring and go nowhere. Those things all get cut. And a lot of the magic will happen in post. But, you know, it's it's not a matter of me working on a skill. Like, I don't, you know, when golfers go to the driving range and they're just hitting the ball as far as they can or the batters for baseball go to a batting cage and just hit the ball. I'm not really doing that for podcasting. I'm not really going, okay, I'm going to get better at the, introdu- the introduction of the show right now. Like, let's do that 100 times. I don't do that. The practice comes naturally. The parts that I'm really working on are taking audience feedback to heart. And and that's why a lot of people are always confused about this, but that's why I answer all my email, all my Instagram inbox messages, all my LinkedIn inbox messages. People go, doesn't that take hours every week? Yeah, 
But like, if you want to know what the audience thinks of your work and you want to get better based on their feedback, the, the good feedback that's actionable, you can't just be like, okay, virtual assistant from the Philippines, send me any feedback. What are they going to do? Forward 400 emails a week? <laughs> and and why, why do that? Just check it yourself. You know, have a conversation yourself. Be ready to ask follow-up questions. Like that's, that's important. Most people will never do that work. So I'm pretty confident in my lead here. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the fact that you talked about editing as well, because the way I look at it is as a whole audio experience. And in one of your interviews, you talked about this as a final product for the listener, right? And this is how I want to look at it, because although you have experience with live radio, now we are talking about podcasts and we have this ability or possibility to edit the episode and we can put together the final product. So interviewing or let's say nailing the interview is one aspect, right? And then there's this post-production. And I'm curious how you think about this whole experience and also when it comes to structuring the episode, because structuring the episode is something I often think about, the introduction, the intro, the conversation itself, the outro. And so I'm curious how you look at this as a whole picture. Yeah, the introduction to the show, I do after the show. So, and I think everyone knows that, right? Because I say, in this conversation, we're going to talk about this, 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 and this. It's not just lucky that during the conversation, we happen to talk about those things. I do the introduction after the show. And then the close of the show, of course, I do after the show as well. That's why I say, oh, interesting that he talked about, you know, North Korea's nuclear program and, you know, getting kidnapped by Al-Qaeda, whatever. You know, that like that kind of stuff, I that happens after the show. And I think about during the show, I'm thinking, okay, this I'll put in the introduction because this is what we just talked about. So I highlight it. And then I put other things that I'll highlight in, in thoughts that I have during the conversation. I'll type those notes down or whatever, and I'll put those into Google Docs, uh, which I use during the show as part of my notes. And then when I do the show close, I just refer to my notes. So I don't really leave anything to memory. Mm -hmm. And I also put things in the close often where it'll be like, oh, we never, we're not going to have time to talk about this. Or, you know, there's this other interesting point, but I don't really want to ask him about it because we don't have time. So I'll highlight that in orange, which is what I highlight for my show close. And then it'll be like, at the end of the show, I will then go over those orange highlights and go, hey, we never had time, but after the show or, you know, during the book, we didn't get time to talk about this in the show. But when, when I was reading the book, he talked about how he was driving his car and the engine exploded, you know, and I'll just say it. If it doesn't require the guest to tell that story or we ran out of time or it's just a little interesting historical side note that like I don't want to waste time with during the interview because I'm always running out of time. I'm always against the clock. Even if I have an hour, hour and a half with somebody, I'm usually like, man, we're never going to get to all this information. I will just throw it in the show close if I think that's where it goes. So I'm constantly making decisions during the interview about is this going to go in there? Wow. Do I have time for this right now? Um, do I make this the next thing we talk about? Or do I go into this other topic that we just started on? Because it's a natural flow to the conversation. And if so, do I do this thing that I'm looking at in my notes later? Do I never do it? So I'm, you know, I might cut that out of my notes and then paste it on a different page or highlight it a different color if I'm going to skip it. I, I'm always making those decisions literally like in real time. And that's yeah, when I look at my outline, for example, I often feel that, you know, I get out of the flow and then I can't really listen and listening would be something I really want to focus on. It is tough. I have to constantly remind myself to listen. So often I will just 
very quickly copy paste something and just dump it in the thing in the page that I'm looking at so that I can make sure I don't forget about it. And then I'll keep listening or I'll highlight it in green, which is something I can spot later when I'm scrolling through my notes during the interview. But I'm already going through notes that I wrote that I then um, not only wrote, but reviewed that morning and then reorganized, you know, the night before. And so it's not like, oh, geez, there's so many notes here. I'm basically, I've almost got the outline in my head. Mm-hmm. It's just that I keep them in notes because if I don't keep them in notes, I'll fit, I'll forget certain topics or I'll move things around in a way that doesn't make sense. So a lot of people, they'll go, oh, you know, what you should do is you should go through all your notes and then just never use them. And I'm like, no, that's what amateurs do when they, add, like I, I've seen this advice given by all these, there's a couple of writers and journalists. They go, no, 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 look at your notes before the interview and then forget about them. Mm-hmm. No, that's what amateurs do when they either don't have that many notes or they're telling somebody who's just gonna read their notes and do a terrible job. Uh, I know for a fact that Howard Stern, who's one of the best interviewers in the world, he used to just be kind of a dirty shock jock. Now he's one of the best interviewers in the world. And a lot of these top, top, top interviewers, Terry Gross, they're looking at notes the whole time. There is no interviewer that's good that goes, I don't need notes. That's what people who have like, that's what a green belt does, you know? Like a white belt's like, I don't know what to do. I gotta read the manual page by page. A a green belt's like, I don't need instructions. I already know this stuff like the back of my hand. And a black belt, so to speak, is like, no, I know enough to know that I don't know shit. (laughs) And I need need to have a structure here, right? that stuff's important because there's this huge dip where amateurs think they don't need the the, the net mm-hmm. and or, or the scaffolding, as it were, to build the building, and that's why they are will, they will always be limited by that. So the sooner you realize that you have to do the work and you have to have systems in place, the quicker you can move, say, from green belt to uh, to brown belt, as it were. Yeah, that's really interesting because, to be honest, I was thinking about experimenting with not having the notes in front of me so that I don't get distracted by the notes, but just preparing for the conversation, having the outline, having the questions, but kind of like in my mind and getting into the conversation without the notes in front of me. But I still have them in front of me, which is actually helpful. Yeah, look, I know that there's a lot of people that say, if you're going to get distracted by your notes, don't use them. I only agree with that up to the point where you're so well-versed in the topic that you really don't need your notes. I would much rather listen to an interview where the person stuck to their notes too much and it seemed a little robotic than listen to an interview where a person didn't have any notes and I'm just listening to them talk about how they like Diet Coke and the dry erase board that they have in their office is too dirty. I don't give a crap about that and neither does the audience. And and that's an exaggeration, but I hear this all the time where people are clearly stumbling, they don't know what's going on, they're just trying to run the clock out. I'd rather have somebody that goes, sorry, I'm a little nervous and I have a lot of notes here. Flip, 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 paper noise. Okay. When you were in Iraq serving, did you find blah, blah, blah? I'd much rather have that good information presented poorly than crap information that's totally irrelevant, but presented in a so-called entertaining way. I don't need that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do something interesting. This is different if you're like a comedian and your job is to talk about whatever comes to mind with another comedian and then make it a, a good laugh. Cool card my advice. But if you're trying to interview the national security advisor, don't be sitting there asking them dumb questions because you don't have your notes and you forgot what's in them, right? Yeah. I, 
wasting everyone's time. It goes back to being an advocate for the audience. You are wasting my time. I will never listen to you again. I might give you another chance if you just rely too much on your notes, and then I just hope that eventually you can not worry about your notes. Like, I'm looking at my notes the entire time. It just sounds like I'm not because I'm very used to having a conversation with notes. Oh, wow. That's a matter of practice, yeah. right? But somebody who doesn't use notes and it's flailing around to try and figure out what they're going to say from one minute to the next, that's not a matter of practice, mm. you know? Yeah. You're never going to know more about the war on Iraq than you put in your notes because you just practiced bullshitting for an hour. Like, that's not going to happen. You know, you might get better at improvising and talking off the cuff, but you're not going to get more knowledgeable. So stop trying to pretend that you are. Just work on your notes and work on your delivery. Yeah, so you read the books and it can take up to 10, 20 hours. So you prepare a lot. Uh, that's one thing. And uh, I was thinking about when you come up with the questions and outline, do you think in terms of stories? So, for example, when you start a conversation, do you want to start somewhere that's interesting? Or, or do you think about this as a story or narrative that you want to, you know, walk through the audience? And, and do you think about the interview as a story or? I mean, it depends. If it's a story, then yes. So I should sort of qualify this. Um, if if I'm talking to a FBI agent that went undercover in the mafia, right? Like Jack Garcia did on my show, then sure. You know, I'm thinking about it in terms of a story and a narrative arc. Yeah. But if it's an interview with H.R. McMaster, the former national security advisor that was on my show today as of recording, I'm not thinking about it as a narrative arc. I'm just looking at groups of different topics and I'm trying to group those together. So, so whereas Jack Garcia, who went undercover in the mafia, I want to get like the beginning to the end in chronological order mm -hmm. with HR McMaster. I wanted to get like, I wanted to talk about China and then I wanted to talk about North Korea. Then I wanted to talk about Iraq and Afghanistan. Then I wanted to talk about Russia or whatever order that was in. What I didn't want to do was go, Russia, China, Russia, North Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, Russia, China, Russia, North Korea. And then everyone's like, what the hell is going on here? You know, I wanted to present it in a logical order where people could follow yeah. um, and then have some little transitions in there and then maybe some fun or interesting anecdotes in there, things like that. Uh, but with Jack Garcia, you know, who is an actual story, you you have to think about your interviews in the same way that you think about stories. They're not necessarily narrative arcs, but you have to group the topics together in a way that makes sense to the listener. Because mm -hmm. I would never tell a story, and I know that some people experiment with this, and I think they universally do a crappy job because of the way that the, the human brain works with stories. But like, you would never tell a story that says, yeah, so this guy, he retired um, and he was undercover in the mob. And then when he was younger, he started off by doing this and this and this. And now he spends most of his time with his daughter because he's not a cop anymore. But before when he was a cop, I mean, it's just like, what are you, why are you telling it to me like this? Just start from the beginning and go to the end. You know, what the hell are you doing? So you have to pay attention to how the information is delivered. Mm -hmm. Usually that's chronological order, like you meant, you know, narrative story arc, et cetera. And NPR and a lot of these folks are big on that. I do a lot of interviews with people that are just experts in a certain topic, scientists, for example. There's no narrative arc, but I still want to present the topics in ways that make sense yeah. and then land the plane, as it were, in a way where the listener can go, okay, I'm... I might, I might say, so So now that we've talked about body language and nonverbal communication, how do we use this moving forward? And when people hit the stop button on this episode, what can they apply? And then it's like, okay, here's your three things that are homework. You know, I might land it like that. Because 
I do notice that a lot of interviewers that I think are not necessarily that good uh, at this, they'll say something like, uh, I guess that's all I have for you today. Thanks for joining me. I'm like, okay, I mean, there, that's not terrible, but there's certainly a better way to end an interview than to go, uh, guess I'm done. You know, you know, give us something to chew on here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think many podcasters and me for sure, I want to get to, I would love to get to a place where you are in terms of, you know, you have the, or I would say you have the time to read the books in terms of you kind of like you're focusing on this. So you have the guests, you create the content and you read the books because that's, that's what you do. And that's what the, the show is focused on, which is amazing. And now I'm thinking about other podcasters that don't necessarily have the time to read the books, but they want to conduct great interviews and become better at this. And you've mentioned something, it was voice lessons that you took. And I was wondering if there's, what are some of the skills that these people can focus on and acquire in order to become better? What are some of the things that you felt, you know, gave you the edge over the years in terms of interviews? I definitely do the voice lessons. That helped me because I was getting tired. My throat was getting sore. I had less, I guess you would say like dynamic range in my voice. You know, it was a little more, it's not monotone. It never was, but you can't just be not monotone. If you're performing, you have to be, yeah. you have to emote a lot and you have to go up and down. And you know, that's why comedians tend to be good at podcasting because they are performers. So you have to do a bunch of that. Voice lessons, improv lessons, but not like level one, two, three, four, five with improv. I took like level one and two and and that was fine mm -hmm. because everything after level one and two was no longer getting better at improv. It was like, here's how you're going to set up your improv show at the, the such and such theater. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a professional improver. I'm just trying to think faster on my feet. So I do some drills like that. And to be honest, you can do those drills with a teacher online on Skype. You don't have to go to a comedy store, anything like that to learn this. Um, I take voice lessons online, simply using my podcast gear. I've got a teacher that's like 30 bucks an hour. You know, I'm warming up every day. I'm doing tongue twisters all the time. Wow. I'm doing improv lessons to qu quickly free associate. And, and that's cool because you're learning comedy from a comedian who's probably like really hungry because they can't do shows right now. So you can get these lessons for really cheap, you know, and but I, I would say you don't need a whole lot more than that. You don't need a ton of different types of instruction and lessons and all that stuff. I would just say work on your weaknesses. If your voice is your weakness, take voice lessons, take speaking lessons, learn how to speak from the stage. If you're slow thinking because you're a deliberative person, take some improv classes. If you are great at free associating, but you're not really good at focusing, I don't know what to do there, but I would suggest starting with reading and sitting down and learning how to focus and study more. I don't know if there's a teacher for that. I've never actually looked. I don't have a problem with that. But, you know, there's a lot of things you can work on as a performer that are going to do really well. In fact, if you think your voice sounds really bad, take singing lessons. You'll get over it fast. I mean, that's what a lot of my voice lessons are. I'm going, senor, da, 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 right? I'm singing in the morning. And, okay. and that helps me get through a lot of tongue twisters uh, in the morning. And, and it helps me get through a lot of, like, dense material and sit, speak it out, uh, present it in a way that's entertaining. And, of course, keep my guest entertained. A lot of times people come on the show, they're nervous. I'm like, okay, let's joke around. Let's have fun. You know, I got to loosen them up. 
Um, and there's a lot of things like that. Th that's why a lot of people will say, oh, that guest was so good. Uh, lucky you, Jordan. And I'm thinking, yeah, the guest was really good, but go ahead and listen to them on these other three shows and you'll find that they were not as interesting. And the reason is because, you know, making people comfortable with you is a skill also. And that's something that, that really comes in handy. Mark Marin is good at this because he's like, I'm just a weird guy that has t cats, you know, like <laughs> he's, he makes people feel like they're sitting in his freaking garage doing a podcast because they are. And there's that's hugely beneficial to them saying things. Howard Stern is also kind of good at this. He's not necessarily good at making people feel comfortable. He's more tricky. But that's how he gets information out of people. And, you know, I, I'll sit there and joke around with people and I've done all the homework and they're like, oh, this guy paid attention to me and invested in my work and I'm going to do the same for him. There's a lot of value gained from that. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. There's definitely an art to it. And I think it requires a lot of self-awareness and focusing on different skills and improving them. And I want to be respectful of your time, Jordan. And before I ask my last question, what's the best way to connect with you? Sure. Uh, check out The Jordan Harbinger Show, of course. That is my podcast. You can also find me at Jordan Harbinger on Instagram, Twitter, and social media. And you can add me on LinkedIn. But generally, I just want you to listen to my show. Let's be realistic here. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing. And the links are going to be in our show notes available on our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. And Jordan, my last question is, what is your vision for your podcast in the future? I would love to get to a million listeners. That's so many, though. It's kind of hard to imagine. Um, honestly, though, I don't really care about that. Right now, it's about the impact I'm able to make on people, and it's about the freedom that I have in my life to spend time with my kids. So right now, I've essentially achieved the goals that I want. Now it's just about scaling so that, in theory, I can do half the amount of work and make twice the amount of money that I'm making right now, right? I mean, that's the dream. You know, once my kid is a teenager, I might retire or I might just say, you know, I'm going to do one show a week instead of three. And I want the flexibility to do that. And so that's kind of where I'm going with it. My, my goals are modest. I'm, I'm kind of there already, you know, with 6 million downloads a month. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I wish you good luck with all these aspirations. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Podcast Interview Mastery Show. If you feel inspired to hang out with other like-minded podcasters, make sure to join the Podcast Interview Nation community at mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview nation. If you want to check out the detailed show notes, book recommendations, interview tips, and free resources, please make sure to head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash interview. I really hope this episode's been highly valuable to you. I will catch you next time. And until then, be world class, my friend.